Hello, hello. Welcome back, my friend. It's time for Leading Women in Tech. And today I have a very special guest. I feel like I say that a lot, but I am so honoured to have extraordinary women on this show and also to have some of my dear friends. And today is an extraordinary woman and a dear friend. I have known Jen since the very early days of my business where I was honoured to coach her. And today I'm bringing her on the show to talk about people, talk about how to create better cultures, whether you are a leader or a head of people like she is. This episode is gold for managers and leaders. If you want to foster a great culture of feedback, build great communities, have your teams working for you rather than against you, this episode is for you. This woman has so much wisdom to share. She's one of these extraordinary women who's just a little bit intimidating. But when you meet her, oh my goodness me, she just sparkles and lifts everybody up that you'll ever meet. She is currently the VP of People at Smile. Over the past 10 years, she has developed a passion for building and scaling startups, three of which led to successful acquisitions. And she's now actually an entrepreneur herself as co-founder of a video content platform for employer brand called Jammo. Jen is also mum to two girls, and I know that is part of her passion for why she does what she does, because she believes work should enhance our personal life, not be something that's just there to support it financially. She loves coaching managers, creating that culture of feedback I talked about and building up programs that will help bring a sense of belonging. And that's why I wanted to bring her on the show today. Welcome to the extraordinary Jen Paxton. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Hey, Jen, welcome to the show. It's so good to finally get you on Leading Women in Tech. Oh, thank you, Tony. I'm so, so excited to talk today. Uh, Lots of topics near and dear to my heart. I know. This this interview has been a very, very long time coming. Um, So let's start, as always, I like to ask, what is your career journey to date? The highlights, the lowlights, and why you're passionate about facilitating people ops in organizations? Yeah, and I uh, I love that you actually talk about kind of the highs and lows because many I've had many many highs and lows in my career. You know, starting off on the agency side um, where I was just recruiting and I shouldn't say just it was recruiting and uh, and it was definitely like a high high of you know people accepting the offer. Um, I actually started recruiting during two thousand and eight. So during kind of when that recession was happening the first time in the U.S. and it was um, very a very different landscape then. And then you know going into my very first startup um, and being kind of that recruiter and seeing them double in size and and getting to really lead that entire entire journey myself. Uh, and then you know for the last really last kind of back half of my career, I've um, been kind of on the same journey of you know 
having kind of the leading talent teams and then also leading kind of the people people teams as well, mostly for, you know, these smaller, smaller and kind of growing and rap, like rapidly growing in some cases startups. And then the last thing, um, when you talk about again, highs, like I, I finally come to a realization that I would love to be a founder. And so I have a phenomenal co-founder. So I'm working full-time right now as a VP of people. And then I'm also, you know, co-founding another startup of my own um, called Jammer. And so I think that's one of the highlights of my career is that I finally have gotten to a place where I feel comfortable enough to, and excited enough and, and supported, I think, enough to, to be in that founder position. Most of my career, I've supported all of the um, all of these wonderful founders. So it's... It's probably one of the highest things coming up right now. I love, I love so much that you've actually done that. So I'm actually going to just take us off on a bit of a tangent. I know we're here to talk about culture, but I want to talk for a moment about your experience of moving from supporting founders, supporting CEOs, supporting other people to being a founder yourself. Because I, as you know, I work with hundreds of amazing and extraordinary women and there is a common theme. And many of us at some point in our careers dream of being a founder. And I don't see many of us actually taking that step. What was it that meant you decided to take that step? Why now? Did you yeah. have to step into a different level of courage, confidence? Why now? I mean, I think it's it's kind of, I mean, you and I have been talking for years and I think it's been a long time coming that I've wanted to take on more responsibility, more leadership. I want to have a more I've wanted to have a more impactful position within the product. And I feel like sometimes um in in a people ops role, you can be very segmented and, um, you know, people kind of are like stay in your lane sometimes on the people side. But I've always had an interest in the product side and growing a product and, and starting, um, you know, to see the inner workings of a business. I've just always kind of kept myself in that little box. And then I think over the last few years, as I've gotten more exposure to founders and the inner working of kind of their journey and like what what almost like convinced them to, to take the leap, I was like, you know what? I can do this. Like I, I've seen all of these other founders go do this. Like I, I think I can do it. And so I, I think like a switch maybe just flipped on um, on my side. Um, the other thing I think is that I don't know if I ever had a an amazing idea presented to me in a way that I was like, I need to do this. Like that's kind of what mm. Jammer was. I was like, I, I, I get the problem. Like I can speak firsthand to what that the problem is solving. Like it just kind of. I think it all just kind of aligned in the right way. I think if this would have been a different product or maybe even a different co-founder, like it would have been, may, my answer may be different. And we would just be talking about me being a, a head of people somewhere, you know, but um, yeah, I think all the stars aligned for that. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I think sometimes we just need to recognize the stars are aligning to take that step. Let's get back to culture. Um, that's why I really wanted to pick your brain, culture and people ops. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between the tech sector and other sectors. You have worked primarily in tech. Is it entirely in tech? Um, if, you, if you don't count the staffing side, then primarily in tech, yes. The staffing side supported all different industries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've been head of people operations for a number of years, but you're also very embedded in people ops communities. Yes. Um, nationwide in the US, but also globally. And so you know a lot about people ops across all industries from that point of view. And I do think the tech industry has its own unique set of challenges, as well as more similarities to other organizations than we, we like to think. We like to think we're more different than perhaps we are. And at some other times we forget that we are different. 
What would you say is different about people ops in a tech company, in your opinion? Yeah, I think one of the things that it, it comes to mind immediately, and I, I want to recognize that this is probably my bias here, but I feel like we tend to move faster, maybe by necessity, maybe there's something else. But as far as kind of the tech companies I've been involved in, everything has been constantly changing and people ops is fiercely trying to keep up with those changes and maybe even being ahead of some of those changes. So I think that pushes us to move faster. Uh, and then the other thing I keep thinking about with tech is, you know, we're people apps is constantly surrounded by innovation. And I feel like that spirit starts to bleed into that people ops function as well. So it's like, you, you can't escape it at that point. So I think that's probably one thing that to me differentiates tech from maybe other, other particular industries. What do you think of the specific challenges that that brings in the way that PeopleOps needs to support the organizations? Yeah. I mean, when you're moving that quickly, it's almost like you're, you know, you're you're hammering down the rails of the train, like as the train comes, instead of being able to kind of put it, put it out there and then just wait patiently while the, while the train comes. Um, I think the other thing that is a challenge uh, on this end is that the level of I don't even know how to exactly explain it, but like the level of of need and like feedback that is really candid, I think has become even more prevalent over the last few years. And so um, I think there's a pressure as well for people ops and, and also probably just for leadership to be even more proactive than we were, even more transparent than we were, you know, like we're, we're, we're giving more um, to employees than I think we ever, ever have in the past, as far as like, you know, knowledge of the process and decision making and kind of, you almost like the curtains almost ripped away in a lot of instances. I love that. Well, let's, let's talk about building culture, because a lot of the listeners are leaders. And as far as you and I concern, every single leader has a responsibility for culture. In fact, I would argue, and I think we've had this conversation before, um, that every single person in an organization contributes and therefore has a responsibility for culture. But for the leaders listening to this, very few of whom are people ops, some of them are, some of HR, but most of them are engineering leaders, finance, marketing, sales, all flavors in tech, but leaders or aspiring leaders, let's include them too. What do you recommend that we all should be working on in the tech industry to improve culture? What should we be doing differently day to day to make culture extraordinary and supportive for everybody? Yeah, and I think I think sometimes people may lose sight of what culture really is. And so when, when I boil it down to kind of maybe the most basic piece of what I think culture is, it's how you treat people. Mm. And so every single, every single person in an organization has the ability and the opportunity to treat a person a certain way. And so that might be, you know, how are we collaborating? You know, how do we communicate with one another? Um, how do we decide we want to work together just in general? Um, how do we want to have career growth conversations, both, you know, maybe growing up into managerial, but also growing your skills? So I think that sometimes that gets lost in all the the perks and other ways that we support people. But when you boil it down, like we are all one human talking to another human. And there are many different ways to do that and many different ways to work. And I think a culture is is kind of built on that foundation of that way that we work. I love that. So what if you've got a bit of a unhelpful culture permeating perhaps? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of my clients experience this. They are in a not great 
organization culturally. There is lots of support, but they are a leader. They have a team that they're responsible for. What can we do as individuals in that situation to make things just a little bit better for those around us? Yeah. And I mean, I think the first thing that you think about, because as a, as a leader, I think you can foster your team culture in a way that may actually bleed into other company cultures. If, if other, you know, if other teams are seeing what a great culture you have and, you know, people are excited to work with one another, people like coming to work and, and are really energized and, and, and engaged, then like that actually may, another team may be like, oh, what are they doing over there? Maybe we should do that. And that can actually have a ripple effect within the entire company. Um, the other thing, and this is, I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion or just like the opinion that maybe people don't talk about, but not every culture is going to be for a person. And so there's also kind of a heart to heart you have to eventually have maybe with your direct reports or maybe with yourself even of, you know, I thought that coming into this, you know, this company, the culture is going to be one way. I've gotten in, you know, I, I've tried to, you know, help foster it in one way or kind of even guide it in one way, but it just doesn't look like it's really changing in a way that's going to support me in a culture I want to work in. I think I might have to leave. And that is the hardest thing I think for a leader to to decide is, do I, do I leave my team? You know, like what, and, and that's a, it's a very, very challenging one, I think, for, for anybody to decide. <laughs> well, actually, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think one of the things I see so many of us struggling with is that fear of, should I leave? I'm going to leave these other people in the lurch. Like, when is the time to leave? When you're seeing toxicity playing out at work, when is the time to call it down and walk away? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a deeply personal decision of you know when when you've kind of hit your threshold i mean i'm i'm not kind of one of those people that's just like gonna come up with a problem be like okay i'm done like see ya like i i want to work through it and and I, I think probably a lot of leaders want to see if there is a workable solution to any of the problems that they're they're facing right now and maybe try and get other you know peers and, and champions to to get in on the solution with you um but also I think there comes a reckoning point sometimes when you're like, you know what, like either this behavior that I'm seeing, you know, portraying out is just not one I want to be involved in or, you know, the strategy of, you know, where where the company is going or the, this direction is just I don't see myself really achieving my personal goals or, or containing my personal values here. So I'm going to have to make make that call. Um, the other thing I think that a leader could do is try and set their team up for, you know, the best kind of case scenario in this case of like, you're, you're creating your own kind of redundancies, you know, you, you're thinking mm -hmm. about kind of your um, kind of secession plans already and, and have kind of some of those already lined up because the best case scenario then is you leave and they don't really have to change much, at least right, not right away. Right. It obviously like if it's a bad situation, like there should be change and that's, you know, whole other situation, but like on your team, then maybe they're still feeling empowered to do what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. I also see quite a lot of people guilt feel guilt in this sort of situation where they aren't they aren't really functioning fully. It's not a great culture for them, but they don't leave because they have so much guilt because of their team they're the only one protecting their team. What would you say to somebody in that situation? Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's hard. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've I, I've given my notice at many many a company and and had to move and, and decided to move on for for one reason or another. And it's it's always a, a struggle, I think, because yes, there is that guilt there of like, am I you know how how am I leaving my team and what kind of state are they going to be in? But I also think that sometimes you really do have to think about your own mental health as well mm. and your own just your own health in general and your your career so if you are really not getting the support you need or you know you're not feeling you know per- personally fulfilled I think you kind of have to be a little selfish in that case too yeah so I know that I mean even as like women you know we can be extremely empathetic and and wanting to like make sure everybody's okay everybody's happy and like everybody's going to be all right. And, and sometimes that's fine, but also sometimes you have to have the confidence that your team is going to be able to grow without you. Hmm. That's beautiful. I think the other thing I would just add to that is I think sometimes we hold on because we have all this guilt and yet actually one of the best things for the company is to realize the current situation is busted, broken. And sometimes by us leaving, the rest of the team will then leave, which at which point the company wakes up. If what we're doing is triage and desperately trying to fix a very, very broken system, we're actually doing a disservice to the company. You know, maybe you're trying to give the feedback over and this is not working, this is not working, but the feedback is not landing. The ultimate feedback, if they're willing to listen to it, is the entire team leaving. And I think sometimes it's not so much about us as actually, right, you know what, this is actually the good thing for the company because... The company is going to fail if this continues. Uh, ultimately, a toxic workplace is not competitive in the modern world, thankfully. And what we're doing by staying where we are is putting off the inevitable. And the sooner, we all know this, the sooner we sort a problem, <laughs> the less serious it is, the easier it is to fix it. The longer we hang on to something that we know is wrong and nobody is shifting on, the more likely it is that it, it gets worse. I mean, that's maybe quite fatalistic, but that's, <laughs> that's one of the views I've only recently come to on this. Because one of the things I love to talk about is it's, it's not about you or it's not about me, right? What is it, What is the ultimate thing here? And for me, when I asked that question, I was like, it's actually about the broken company. Mm. And sometimes we have to take action to fix the company or at least allow it to see its own thing. Yeah. Um, let's talk about male-dominated careers next. I know that you've worked in many male-dominated environments as you hinted that to listeners we've been talking for a number of years now you and I um let's talk a little bit about your experience of being the only woman in the room the unique challenges you face and how, what you've done to overcome them yeah it's uh number one I guess it's really lonely um so one of the companies that I was at I was the only woman of uh 30 so it was me and 29 men basically and it, it was um yeah like so think about like I mean hey like pro there's no line to the restroom huzzah but also like <laughs> it's really awkward and like the mm. when you think about kind of the the culture side of it and like having you know trying to change a male-centric culture to be more inclusive like it's almost downright impossible right like uh, to, to be able to actually do that. And um, I think what happens, and I, I think you might have actually just mentioned something like this, but it's like it, it startups don't become less male-centric. Sometimes females just become more tolerant. And I think that is yes. 
that's something I have always struggled with is how do I not become more tolerant? You know, how do I not put myself into kind of this, this box that I have been potentially put into or like I, I put myself into because, hey, I like I accepted the offer to come. I knew I was going to be the only female starting out like that. That's something I challenge. I was like challenge accepted. Let's try and see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a part of it. And then the other part that comes in is um, the roles. So a lot of the um, more kind of maybe female driven roles. So people ops is you know, predominantly um, female, I will say. And I think that sometimes when we're in that, at, at the seat of the table, we're still disadvantaged because, you know, we're not spending our day to day in like product strategy. Like that's not like we're, that's not where we're, you know, spending our time. And so a lot of these leadership meetings will be talking about product strategy and business strategy and not as much on the people strategy side. So not only am I, you know, potentially disadvantaged because I sometimes will not speak up as much on things that maybe I don't think I'm an expert on, which I think might be my nature, maybe it is the female nature as well. Uh, but then at the same time, I haven't gotten as much exposure to maybe some of the things we're talking about because of the people upside of what I'm doing too. So it's kind of a, a one-two punch basically on on that end. Um, and then I would also say like going back to maybe even like street cred um, is probably not the best word to use, but like thinking about it that way, you know, earlier on in my my career, you know, people would be like, oh, that's so cute. She's putting together a team event or, you know, oh, we're going to do performance reviews. And there was a lot of education. Um, actually, you know, you you kind of nailed it on the, the head here, like a few departures happened. And I I started actually getting more, more like authority and more impact because I was like, look, see what I told you was going to happen. This happening. And so people started to actually respect me because of the things that I was saying that were coming true. And they, they started to actually see, um, oh yeah, like Jen actually was right on this. And like, it's Mm. frustrating because you like, you know, you probably are screaming with your hands in the air being like, I just know how this is supposed to go. Come on, listen to me. And it's, it's very, it's very tough. So. I, I really, really like your take on this one, um, in particular, because you're kind of getting into what we will need to be doing as individuals as well, which is something I really want to dig into for just a mm-hmm. second. Um, I know from our conversations over the years that one of the things that you are passionate about is coaching the leaders that you work with to be better leaders. And I'm sure that impacts culture. I, with all that experience behind you, what would you say are the top tips you would give to any leader aiming to improve their cultural experience for their team? Yeah. I mean, the thing that immediately pops into my head is be prepared to be wrong. Because, I mean, that that sometimes I think the the hardest thing is that, you know, the fa- and, and I'm, I'm finding this as well as beca- like becoming a founder the first time myself, but founders are so driven and like they've been right this whole time you know like building a product getting this together like no matter how big the company is like they've like they've been the person that's right and then they have a people person like me coming in being like hey you know we have people asking to you know make more decisions themselves and have have more you know more say in kind of the strategy and where we go from here and if if the rigidity is there in a founder to not want to shift kind of their way of working potentially, that it, that can be detrimental to a company's culture, but also to an entire company. 
because if that's if that's not the company culture that people were bought into or or sold on when they joined, they're not going to stay. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, okay. So, how can people be leveraging their people ops department? Um, this is something I see so many people struggle with. Like I've coached people like you, people ops HR, and I've coached lots of leaders in other departments. And one thing that always baffles me is how little leadership utilizes their people ops departments. What do you wish people in the organizations you work with were more willing to do to come to you with? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I have, um, especially at my, my last company, Privy, um, I set up, you know, one-on-ones with every single manager pretty much every week, like, or even every other week. So it was like these consistent conversations that we were having. So it wasn't, they Mm -hmm. had their manager that they could go to, but their manager sometimes is not always equipped to talk through the conversations or or how to handle something. They may also not want to bring up something that they have done, either a misstep or something with their direct manager, which means that it may go unnoticed or, or just fester. And so having a, a neutral third party like myself, like a member of the people team, um, I think it actually helps that manager to come outside of their comfort zone, but also to grow and be able to maybe say things that they they wouldn't be able to say to their manager potentially. Um, some, some managers and direct reports have great relationships and they're able to say everything. But um, I also think that not being in the thick of the day to day as kind of their their manager maybe gives a unique perspective that the mm. the manager or the the other person they may have just not gotten before and so that that's that's I think been really probably one of the most valuable things is kind of the the third party perspective that we can bring um, I'd like to see more managers do this honestly I'd like to instead of me having to come into a company and say like, hey, I'm going to do this. I almost want managers to have an appetite to say like, hey, I want to make sure we're meeting. Um, I know that like, especially in in um, the last few companies I've come to, like some of the leadership, especially the ones that I would consider really good managers, very first or second week that I was there, like, hey, I want to make sure that we set up like biweekly or weekly one-on-ones. This is kind of what I want to cover with you. And, and this is kind of what I'm hoping to get out of this. And I always respected that they... They took themselves and their ego out of the equation for a minute and said, like, mm. hey, I wanna, I wanna have you to help me with this. Oh, that's wonderful. It's so good to hear that that is happening. Um, I wanna take us down a little bit of a different route for a second because I know, like me, you're very passionate about negotiation. Yes. So let's talk about that. Um, it's, it's we're women in tech. We believe all women in tech should be well compensated. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us, uh, after all your years of being on the other side of the table on negotiations, can you share with us your top negotiation tips for anyone considering an offer right now? Because there's lots of offers still going out. Yeah, no. And I mean, I think the very first thing that I think you and I have talked about this before, but it's, you know, understand where you are in the marketplace. So that means, you know, leveraging payscale or, or salary.com. Um, I I think of both of those as more of the reputable sources. Um, if you're looking at like Glassdoor or um, or even maybe like LinkedIn or, um, or like a built-in, like those are more self-reported. So there's not as much, um, I don't know, as trust or maybe credibility sometimes in that case uh, there. So I like to I like to look at kind of the the pay scale or the salary.com um, as kind of my source of data. And they have free accounts as well, like one-off accounts that you could find to, to understand kind of where you are in the market right now. 
And then the other part I think is when you're in those conversations with companies, you know, going in, um, potentially they may be like, Oh, well, what's like, what's the range you're looking for? But before you can actually even have them ask that, you should be like, Hey, like, I know I didn't notice the range was posted on your uh, job description. Um, we do that here. It's about, we post them on our job descriptions, but, um, so there's no real questions about that. Uh, but you could go into a conversation and say like, Hey, like I noticed the, the range wasn't posted on the job description. I'd love to kind of get a sense of, you know, what you have budgeted for this role. And then stop talking because silence is your friend. And so, um, yes, right. Like leverage silence here. Um, and then if, if they come back and they're like, Oh, we'd love to know what you want. Like that's when you're like, okay, like either they don't have a range or like they're trying to get a good deal. And, and so then, um, then that's kind of when it gets into a, a sticky like negotiation situation where like, Hey, like I just want to understand like, this is what I've been paid. Like, this is the range that I've seen on payscale, salary.com. Um, is that actually what you're looking for? Like, you could throw it back at them that way and uh, and go from there. The other situation that may happen is um, if they give you a range and you don't fit inside that range, don't feel like you can't speak up. Mm. Because, I, you know, some people will be like, oh, like, just like, Hey, they're going to give me the highest part of the range. Okay. Like that's, that's fine. I think that it's worth a conversation. Um, and, and being honest, being like, Hey, like, you know, that, that range, um, is definitely a little lower than what I was expecting. Here's kind of what I'm at. Do you think that that would be possible at all? Because then it's two, you have two pathways basically, and you have a choice. One is, you know, yes, like that would be possible. Maybe throughout the other part of the interview process, they discover that, you know, within their career ladders, they had um, this role slated as a, you know, marketing specialist two versus a marketing specialist three. Maybe you're a three. Maybe you get to go up in, in that kind of range. Um, the other thing they may say though, and you need to be prepared for that is, you know what? No, it's not really kind of what I'm looking for. And if they, if they do say that, you know, like, no, we don't have any flexibility in the range. You can, you can make a choice yourself. You don't have to make it right there in that conversation either. Like you can say, okay, like I still want to continue the conversation and get to know more about the team. Also know more about the benefits and the total rewards before I make my final decision. Mm. And so then you can actually, yes. you know, you can continue the conversation. You don't have to shut it down immediately um, on that end. I think that is key. Like you don't have to shut it down. I think until both parties decide to walk away, there's always wiggle room. Most organizations, there are a few where this is not possible, but most organizations have more wiggle room, especially right now in the current climate, than they will present. Um, a phrase I love to help people learn how to use is, I'm sure we can come to something mutually agreeable if this is the right place or the right role or whatever phrase you want to throw in there. But basically leave the door open, say, well, I was looking for this. However, I'm sure that we can come to a mutually agreed position if this is the right place. And it just says, I'm willing to keep talking to you. And I would think you just need them to fall in love with you and you have so much more ammunition. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's so many things nowadays that you can... Um, kind of talk through with a company as far as flexibility mm -hmm. as well. I mean, I think companies are getting more creative on all of the different options and offerings they, mm -hmm. they have for employees. So there's different, yeah, there's different levers I think that you could, you could pull on that too. Let's move on to the quick fire round. We should do a whole episode on negotiation Ooh. at some point. It's so much fun, that topic. But let's move on to the quick fire round. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? <laughs> it's funny because we've we've kind of talked through a little bit of it but um the worst the worst piece of advice give it time they'll change 
Oh, gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's cringeworthy, isn't it? What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, um, so how you spend your days is how you spend your life. Um, basically, it's not worth missing a, a kid's milestone, even if there's a crisis at work. You can come back to the work. Oh, that's beautiful. That's so, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. What was the last book you read? And would you recommend it? Uh, yes, I keep keep talking about it, actually. It's um, The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer. Um, so I keep dog-earing the pages and going back to them. And I still <laughs> haven't finished the book because I keep going back to previous pages. And I'm like, I have a whole other stack <laughs> of books that I need to read. And I'm just like still engrossed in this one. And it keeps popping up in every single conversation that I have with everybody. So please go read The Culture Map. It is awesome. Yeah, I've had like three people in the last month recommend it to me. Um, I've started reading. I started reading about three months ago. I never, I didn't finish it. Something got in the way. Um, but I've had three people, and very recently, they'll say, "Have you read that?" And I'm like, "Oh, I started." Um, it's, it's interestingly top of mind right now. It's probably me. I keep like being like, "Go read this book. It's so cool." Like, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, um, mindset moment. As you know, at the end of every episode, like to have a favorite mindset tip. So, what is your favorite mindset tip to help leaders in their careers right now? Yeah, I mean, I think especially with kind of the challenges that are coming up and the difficult conversations that you're having to have, um, try to lead more with curiosity. So, you know, think about, think more in question marks versus exclamation points. That's beautiful. I really, really love that. I love that so much. This has been such a fabulous conversation. How can people find out more about where you are, what you do, connect with you? Yeah, yeah. So definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm I'm pretty active on there. Uh, in addition to that, if there's any employer branding folks or talent acquisition professionals, go check out jammer.com. Um, that's my my startup that I've co-founded. Uh, and then of course, um, if you're interested in Smile and kind of what we're doing over there, um, you can go to smile.io as well. Um, yeah, I think those are probably the three main main ways to get in touch with me right now. Perfect. And we'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes. I really, really recommend going and at least following Jen on LinkedIn. I mean, she says I'm pretty active. She's like the most active connection of mine on LinkedIn. Uh, This woman is extraordinary. And she says such amazing insights every single day. So if you are passionate about people, culture, leadership, go follow Jen on LinkedIn. That's all I'm going to say. Connect with her. She'll accept your connection request, but at least follow. Um, any final thoughts you want to share with us today, Jen? Yeah, um, I think just kind of tying in all the the culture conversations we've had and uh, and and basically everybody being able to affect culture, um, you really have to be intentional when you're when you're thinking about the ways that you communicate, the ways that you treat people. Um, this can't be something that is any kind of laissez-faire by leadership, by an individual. It has to really be an intentional way that you build connections and and build relationships with humans. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today with everybody. This, as I said, it's been a long time coming. I don't quite know why I've not had you on the podcast before. I've been keeping you to myself. I always love our conversations and I am so grateful that you shared this conversation with the entire leading women in tech movement today. Well, thank you again for having me. I'm always happy to share information, but also happy to just collaborate and get ideas from other people as well, because we all we need more women leaders. So 
100%. And if you're listening to this and you're feeling inspired, remember, as always, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.